0: The co-founder of K-18, Savine, when he and I first began speaking, we realized really quickly we shared this common interest in dispelling the information that seems to be so pervasive in the world. so
1: much with hair.
0: Especially hair. No one
1: understands hair.
0: He really wanted there to be this authoritative voice to help guide people to the right information because, I mean, it's hard for somebody who doesn't come from a technical background to parse through what's fact and what's concocted or what's been, the meaning has been kind of distorted a little bit. So we wanted to provide space to guide people to the evidence-based information on hair products and hair science.
1: Hi, and welcome to Beauty Curious. My name is Dr. Elise Love, and I am a board-certified dermatologist.
2: And I'm Ian Michael Crumb, a licensed esthetician.
1: Ian and I are excited to become your trusted beauty guides, from interviews with the best and brightest names in the industry to sharing our favorite expert-approved products.
2: We are here to help you navigate the noise by giving you the facts. Are you feeling beauty curious? Let's dive into today's episode.
1: I am super excited for this episode. We are talking about a topic that people of all ages, gender, and race care about, hair. For this episode, we'll specifically chat about how to prevent and repair hair damage and how to build and maintain strong hair. We'll have another episode or two that dive a little deeper into styling practices and hair loss.
2: Our guest today, Megan Schlapp, is the R&D chemist and NPD formulator for K18. If you're not familiar with K18, K18 is a biotech company that creates clinically proven, science-backed hair products. Its breakthrough molecular repair formulas reverse damage in four minutes on all hair types. Unlike most products that cover up damage, K18 repairs damage deep inside the hair fiber from bleach and color and chemical services for progressive and lasting results. The brand is beloved by dermatologists, influencers, and celebrities, including their newest spokesperson, Sophia Ritchie Grange. We are super excited to speak with Megan today to help us all achieve our strongest head of hair.
0: Hi, thank you guys so much for having me on Hair Care and talking about all things hair, cosmetics, and especially health are super important to me. And I'm just really grateful to be here as a guest today.
1: Well, we're super excited to have you because we are both huge fans of K-18 and I feel like you can never know enough about hair. So let's start with a super simple but also very complex question. What exactly is hair? So this is one of my favorite
0: questions because hair is common to everybody, but most people don't really have a relationship with what it looks like under a microscope or up close. So hair is a biomaterial that is made up primarily of protein. And it has a really interesting and intricate structure at that fiber level. And it's not just this kind of static string that comes out of your head hair is dead, it's not biologically active tissue, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't interact with this environment, it's very much chemically active. And so understanding hair's structure is really fundamental to being able to interpret and predict how hair is going to interact with this environment, which is important when you talk about how to keep hair healthy and how to protect it and how to repair it. So a little bit on the structure of hair, it has two primary different structures. One being the outer level, which is the cuticle. And the cuticle of hair is also primarily protein, and it's made of overlapping, flattened, scale-like cells. And this is hair's first line of defense. It's hair's barrier, and it's the first thing that comes into contact with the external world. So... The cuticle protects what's inside of the hair and this part of hair is called the cortex which is made up of long intertwining fibrous proteins and the cortex is actually the bulk of the hair fiber it's 80 percent by weight and this long fibrous protein interior looks a lot like a rope with all those different fibers twisted together and that structure creates quite a significant amount of strength and the cortex is responsible for hair's tensile or mechanical properties and what I mean by that is its strength and its elasticity. So how easily the hair is breaking is a feature of its strength and if the hair is able to stretch and be pulled like during styling or services and then snap back and retain its shape that is hair's elasticity. And so both of those things are how we define at K18 hair health. It's that internal protein structure which creates the strength and how best you maintain that protein structure allows you to have the healthiest hair and so that everything that you do to hair works much better when you keep that protein structure intact.
2: Okay, so speaking of structure, texture, you have gorgeous curly hair sitting here looking at you. I have curly hair, Elise has curly hair. We all have some sort of not completely straight texture. So to some degree, our hair texture, density, and length are determined genetically.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately because people always seem to want what they don't have, but so much of hair is determined by your genetics. And that does include the shape of hair. That does include the density of hair, which is how many hair fibers you have on your head, how many follicles you have that hair grows out of on your scalp. And it also includes the thickness or the diameter of each individual hair fiber. There's internal and external factors that influence the hair growth, and I think we'll get into a little bit more of what that is later, but your genetics plays a huge role in the hair that you have on your head, but there are definitely some strategies that you can use that are common to everybody to help protect that hair and get the most from the hair that you have.
1: I just want to say, I feel like we could end this podcast now. I've already learned so much.
2: It's like insane, I know. Yeah,
1: I... I love the idea of talking about hair as chemically active and like interacting with the environment because I think sometimes people do get confused. They're like, "Well, it's predetermined and it's dead, so like, what are products actually doing?" So, thank you. We're on to yeah, the yeah. My start.
2: jaw is on the floor. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm taking okay. all of this back to my patients. Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> so, speaking of that, like, I think a lot of people, yeah, they think, "Oh, the hair is dead, and of course it's dry." So. How does someone know that their hair shaft is damaged? And then what signs would they see in their hair? Hair loss, broken ends, flyaways, what's common there?
0: That's such a good question. Hair interacts with this environment, right? Always. And something that is a good indicator is when your hair grows out from the scalp, that's the newest hair. So it's going to be the most structurally intact. And the shape of the hair that you have that's close to the root is pretty much the closest you'll get to undamaged hair on your head. And the longer that hair is exposed to its environment and all the different things that you put it through during your life, during its life and its time with you, it starts to show signs of that wear and tear. And so you'll see increased weathering. Weathering is the term for environmental exposure and damage to the hair as your hair grows and grows and gets longer. So Super long hair. My hair used to be really long. I actually just cut it. Used to be. Yeah. For, for anyone
2: listening, her <laughs> hair is like very long. It's gorgeous. <laughs> so. Well,
0: okay. So in true like geek scientist fashion, when I came in contact with K18 and the product and its fascinating technology, I was like, I'm going to be my own guinea pig. I'm going to run an experiment and see how long I can grow my hair before we reach kind of like the hair just won't grow anymore because there's set growth periods determined by the scalp. And genetics, but also how much breakage your hair is getting. And so, I finally had to conclude the experiment after two years because it was like I was sitting on the ends of my hair and I was like tugging it into my pants, and it was oh just my too, it was too much. Wow, so, it's a very good sign.
2: How <laughs> many inches did you cut off, or About do you didn't measure
0: seven?
2: Or wow, eight. okay.
0: So, yeah, I mean, it's actually much faster to shower now. So I'm happy that the experiment (laughs) is over. But yeah, I just wanted to see. So that hair that was, let's say, three feet long has been around for almost four years Mm -hmm. with me. And it's been with me through everything that I've done. And it's been exposed to so much. So what you'll typically see as your hair gets longer, as the fiber grows, is the ends will start to either break off completely. And that can be observed when you're brushing your hair, you're styling your hair, you're manipulating it in some way. And you see those little broken bits fall into the sink or on the floor. Split ends is another really common hallmark of damage. And what that is, is essentially the cuticle, that exterior of the hair, has been so damaged or so compromised that it's effectively removed. And those fibrous proteins on the inside of the hair start to kind of unravel and come apart. And that just force will kind of split the cortex and it can even split the cuticle further up the fiber. So that's how it kind of migrates. But it's those proteins coming apart. That's one sign of really bad damage to the ends. Other things that you might see if your hair is like not quite as long, but it's still been compromised are your hair looks duller. It doesn't have as much shine naturally. And again, this is individual to each person because hair shape plays a role in the sheen that you'll see. But if the ends of your hair or the lengths of your hair aren't quite as shiny as the hair at the root, that's an indication of damage. If your hair feels a little bit more brittle or it feels kind of like that characteristic dry, Hay like straw like texture, that's another indication that something's happening. It's not your natural hair texture. But really, the way to tell is how it looks, how it feels, and how that differs from the most quote virgin hair at the root that you have.
1: And are certain hair types more prone to damage? I love this question because hair
0: has such a diversity in the world, right? There's so many different shapes and colors and textures and diameters and thicknesses and et cetera. Hair, its properties, right, are very dependent on its shape and those other internal factors. But the proteins that make up all hair types are actually really highly conserved. So on that protein level, the structure or the building blocks of hair proteins are largely the same. However, that doesn't translate to equal bulk properties of the hair, and a lot of that is dependent on the hair's shape. So curly and coilier hair types are not inherently weaker than straighter hair types, but they can be more prone to breakage. And the reason behind that is you're taking it out of its natural shape when you try and do something like pull a comb through it or take a blow dryer or a brush or a straightening iron or curling iron, you're flexing it out of its natural shape and that creates a little bit more forces or strain on the hair. And so each time you run a brush through a clump of hair, a truss of hair, I don't know how you want to say it, but (laughs) every time you run a brush through hair, when you have straight hair, you're pulling that tool through the hair through that fiber length and you're kind of extending it along the fiber axis when the hair is already straight there's just a little bit of force required to pull that comb through if it's detangled enough but for curlier hair and coilyer hair you have to pull it out of its natural shape and so that creates additional internal strain on the structure of those proteins. And so there's an experiment called the fatiguing experiment that's done. It's one of the claims tests that you can do on hair to determine how a product works. And it involves taking a hair fiber and kind of like stretching it and relaxing it and stretching it and relaxing it over and over and over and over again. And what we see is that straight hair actually will last a lot longer, a lot more cycles than the curlier and the coilier hair types. And it's because it has to deal with additional forces to pull it out of its natural shape. So it's very common in the curlier and the coilier hair communities to see increased breakage because that's just one way that it has to kind of stand up to a lot more aggressors in its environment, right? Because every time you try, even like washing your hair, right? And shampooing your hair is a whole other world of damage that it opens your hair up to. But that's a topic for another TED Talk. We could talk about it later. If you want
2: more. Like, I love washing <laughs> my hair. <laughs> I love washing my hair. So I'm probably really Uh-oh. in the negative there. <laughs> well,
1: I would say that's super fascinating, and it makes sense. And we'll get to K eighteen a little bit later. But one of the things that I've noticed in using K eighteen routinely is that when I'm detangling my hair, it recoils faster. And then, so we were talking about brushing is a common cause of hair shaft damage, particularly for curly hair. What are other common causes of hair shaft damage?
0: Oh my goodness. Okay, let's start from kind of the most obvious and work our way down. Yes. So. Salon services like color and bleach and reshaping services like relaxers and perms are probably the most acute kind of damage that you can inflict on hair. And this one makes sense, right? When somebody goes into the salon and they're getting their hair relaxed, they know that their hair is going to be in a more fragile state after. Same with bleaching, right? There's this textural change that you can easily observe because you know how your hair is supposed to feel each time you go into the salon. And there's a couple of reasons why these types of chemical services, I'll call them, are really aggressive on hair. And the first one is that they employ typically oxidizing chemicals. And this is just a type of chemical agent that is very good at breaking things down. And so that's used intentionally when you're talking about a bleaching or a lightening service because it's going in and it's breaking up the natural melanin pigments that live inside the hair. But unfortunately, that chemical is not zeroed in. It's not locked in on melanin pigment only. There's going to be incidental damage to not just those pigments, but the surrounding protein structure of the hair it's kind of like a wrecking ball right it's not selective it's going to take a hammer to everything in the area
2: I came in like a wrecking like, oh ball that I could tell she, I was like Elise is like seeing me I'm like about to say something wild wait
0: I heard. okay so I like disclaimer binged a lot of your podcast episodes this week just before coming on because I thought it would be fun and I think you sang bulletproof on the oh, yeah, you know, episode it's,
2: yeah it's. I probably did yeah <laughs>
0: I'm gonna I am also now going to think of that every time I <laughs> I'm glad I got to see
2: you sing in person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what I was saying.
2: Sorry, so you were talking oh, about hair damage, services, Right. right services, yeah. Okay, wrecking ball. So. I've referenced Miley and distracted. <laughs> if you ever all. bleach your
0: hair, you're going to think of that.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But yeah, so those oxidizing chemicals are essentially breaking down structures, including the pigments and the proteins in your hair. These same chemicals are also often used in the other salon services. In permanent color, you are applying small dye precursor molecules to the hair which are tiny enough to diffuse inside of hair and then that oxidizing chemical is applied and actually joins those little precursor molecules those baby building blocks together to generate the final color but again secondary damage is going to happen to the protein structure if this is going into too much depth of like no, we oh, love is this is perfect okay. yeah. oh.
2: we always say please get science yeah
0: so then in reshaping services The most common ones are like thioglycolate perms and relaxers. And what these do is they modify a specific type of bond in that protein structure. It disconnects the bonds and allows you to set hair into a new shape. And then when you go to set that hair, what you're doing is you're relinking those bonds. Again, typically with an oxidizing chemical. And as before, it's going to cause incidental damage. Now, the other piece of these chemical services is that they're typically formulated at very high pH. And pH is really important when you talk to hair because proteins are very sensitive to the environmental pH of their surroundings. And higher pH is quite problematic for hair. It can result in protein hydrolysis or just breaking up and chopping up of the proteins, breaking the bonds that hold that protein structure together and effectively pulling apart that protein structure. Something else while we're talking about pH is that that protective cuticle on the outside of hair, it exhibits this really interesting pH-responsive behavior where that cuticle lays relatively flat if your hair is dry and it's undamaged, but in presence of water, water molecules from either environmental humidity or being submerged when your hair is in water you're washing it, you're in the ocean pool, whatever, that cuticle will start to swell and the scales flare out a lot like a pine cone. And how much space there is in between those individual scales, the gaps in them, is actually a function of pH. Whereas at lower pH, more acidic pH, you minimize that cuticle swelling. And at higher pH, even neutral pH, you get increased cuticular swelling. And so why this is problematic is that it increases the potential damage for hair for two reasons. When hair is wet, one specific type of bond, again, within that overarching protein structure is disrupted. And these are hydrogen bonds. They are reversibly broken in the presence of water. Water molecules kind of insert themselves into that protein structure. And instead of the protein having internal bonds, the water begins to bind to the protein. So it breaks it up. And bonds create protein structure. So when bonds are broken, it actually weakens that protein structure. And so your hair is a lot weaker. It's just in a more fragile state that's more easily stretched and broken when it's wet. So that's one of the problems with wetting your hair, or washing your hair, or having it wet for prolonged periods. Now, if the water that your hair is exposed to is above a pH of like six, it causes more of that cuticle swelling. And imagine the pine cone visual, right? Try dragging two pine cones across each other and you can imagine that those lifted cuticle scales cause a lot of snagging and tangling and breaking, and it's just kind of a recipe for disaster. So most of these chemical services are also occurring in your hair is wet or you're applying product or you're rinsing it out. So it just puts the hair in a more vulnerable state once again. That kind of sums up the chemical services, salon services discussion, but these are by no means the only way to damage hair. There are tons of sources just kind of in your everyday interactions with the world that compromise your hair. And that can be a normal routine that really there's these very sneaky places that damage can occur, which for us, we talk about origin hair is a myth. That's kind of like the biggest myth that we want to bust because salon services aren't the only way to damage hair. So, You're going about your day, things that everybody is doing right, you walk outside. The sun is actually one really big source of potential damage for hair proteins. UV is not great for skin, but your hair is also subject to a lot of the same damage. If it doesn't manifest in the same way, it turns into structural damage. So hair actually does offer some base level of protection to the skin and the scalp underneath from sunlight. And so this protection that it offers, this base level of protection, first of all, varies a little bit based on the pigment or the color, the natural color that you have to your hair. The darker hair colors have a little bit more protection to some extent, but the hair that's really the most vulnerable is hair that has no pigmentation, so gray or white hairs will be more easily damaged by sunlight. And interestingly, UVA and UVB, sunlight waves, affect skin a little bit differently. It's the same for hair. UVB is responsible for more protein degradation, so damaging that structure of your hair that keeps it intact and strong. And then UVA is commonly believed to be responsible for more color bleaching effects of the hair. Hmm. And so something that is kind of common is this phenomenon of surfer's hair, and that's a natural bleaching of the hair. And uh-huh. essentially, it's the environmental equivalent of an insulin service. The mechanism is just slightly different, but the result and what's happening is pretty much the same.
1: Because that why people are blonder yeah. at the end of summer?
0: Yeah, the UV is going in and it's degrading the protein structure and the pigment. <laughs> and so your hair gets lighter. Surface hair is extra bad because you have the added element of water. People swimming in the ocean, which... Presence of water (laughs) exacerbates or worsens those UV-damaging reactions. So even if it's not submerged in water, even if you're just in a humid environment, that is actually still enough to see increased damage from sunlight, unfortunately. And then something else that's relevant to the environmental damage conversation for hair is presence of dissolved metals and minerals in water. Mm. And that can be in the ocean, that can be in the pool, Pools are actually bad because they have an oxidizing agent that's needed to maintain the cleanliness of the pool, and that's chlorine, but chlorine is also an oxidizer. So I'm going on another tangent. This is just going to be a series of tangents. No, this I just could all, ever, it's
1: like every question everyone's ever had about hair. So like, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> okay.
0: So green swimmer's hair is yeah. a combination of that oxidizing damage that bleaches hair coupled with the presence of copper. Copper is usually added to pools as an algaecide, oh. again, to maintain the condition of the pool. And what happens is copper coordinates and it creates the structure that gives it a bright blue color. And then the blonde or yellowish undertones of hair Mm. pigment make it look green. Cute. I
2: know. (laughs) Wow.
0: Yeah. So it's that oxidizing damage and the metals in the pool water that cause that. But metal ions, which are kind of just half of a salt molecule, are present not just in the ocean, not just in the pool, but in tap water as well.
1: Yeah. A lot of people are doing filters for their showers. Mm
0: -hmm. I think filters are... Very important in, uh, uh, okay. I'm, in I'm hair filter. care. <laughs> well, it does depend on your source water, right? But there are different kinds of salts and metals and minerals dissolved in tap water. And sometimes that looks like hard water. And what hard water is, is very specifically the content of different calcium and magnesium salts, kind of at a higher level that you can actually feel or see in the water. So if you live in a home that has hard water, some things you might notice are this kind of white calcium salt scale on your dishes or on your glassware or around your sink, your faucet, your bathroom on the glass. You'll see it kind of build up. And that white mineral deposit is also kind of ending up on your hair. And what happens is it will dramatically impact the way your hair feels and looks, the texture and the feel of the hair. It's a salt, right? So it's making your hair look duller. It's also going to give it that kind of crispy feeling. So something that we've seen is when somebody experiences hair that feels like dry and products aren't really helping it, it can be mineral buildup on the hair. So hard water is pretty common, actually. A lot of homes, I think the statistic is around 80 to 85% of U.S. homes actually have hard water. Wow. Wow. New York has relatively soft water, so I'm kind of lucky, but when I travel upstate or to different states and I wash my hair or even my hands, I can feel it now. I'm just like, oh, I know this water is hard. I'm not going to wash my hair. The other consideration is that these magnesium and calcium salts are not the only things that can be dissolved in water. There's also additional metals and minerals, which I'm going to call trace metals, and that includes things like copper, things like cadmium, things like iron, and these are present in much smaller quantities in the water, but they're actually a little bit more sinister. I'm terrified. you <laughs> <laughs> don't want to know, we could stop <laughs> No,
2: We're going to have to release a checklist. There's I just like so know. many things to consider yeah, after I'm this. I'm terrified, but I have to do. <laughs> yeah,
0: so these metals, again, are going to kind of stick themselves onto those hair proteins and go along for the ride when hair is exposed and it's in that water. And these metals will amplify oxidative reactions. So that can happen when you're walking around outside, right? In the sunlight, UV causes oxidizing reactions. They can exponentiate them. But the bigger problem is when somebody has a lot of this mineral buildup in your hair, you go into the salon to get a service. And stylists, you know, are always doing their best, like pros, stylists and colorists, cutters, to take care of your hair, but they don't always know the condition that your hair is in from these more sneaky places, like what you're washing your hair in. And so you come in for a chemical service, and it can induce more damage to happen during those services. Mm -hmm. It can also affect the end color if you're getting your hair dyed, and that's because it just kind of changes the way that reaction proceeds.
2: I've seen like colorists, mostly on TikTok, just watching beauty videos and I've heard of obviously doing like a color test, like a patch test before doing the entire hair. But there's colors that'll do small ones, but they're kind of all over the head, like at the back, at the top. Is there a reason to why they would test kind of like all over?
0: Yeah, I'm. it's really to kind of get a handle on the condition of the hair when it's coming to them. Because I think a lot of clients who go into the salon don't necessarily know how important it is to communicate what you've done to your hair before mm-hmm. coming in. If, if you're not with somebody who's like been with you through your whole hair journey, they might leave things out. And that could be having a perma-relaxer. Shape change services are usually not paired with color services like lightening or permanent color dye, and that's because it's compounding the damage. You would see pretty intense breakage if you tried to do that and you didn't know about it before. There's also at-home color that somebody might get if they've lightened, if they've highlighted their hair, if they've done like a strip underneath, and they don't remember to tell that to their consult pro, it can affect how that color comes after. And something, this is also an aside, but it was really interesting. I attended a color correction course for pro colorists, and bleaches like I said, one of the most damaging things you can do to your hair. So if they have to remove pre-existing color, the strategy to protect the hair and keep it healthiest is not to just go in with bleach to remove that color. There are actually different tools that they can employ. And one is breaking up the hair dye and removing it in a different way to bleach, Hmm. which is less damaging. The other strategy is if the color is already pretty faded, you can color correct. So if there's like a residual greenish tone in the hair and you apply a little bit of red dye, it'll neutralize it and you just get kind of a neutral blonde, which I just think is super interesting. It's like a color theory, right, that you learned. Oh, yeah. But it's crazy to see it in action. We've derailed so much, I don't remember where we
2: started. We were were on the laundry list of all the different ways that you can damage Damage your hair. Yeah, damage your hair.
0: Oh, right. Metals and minerals. Okay, so that's why When you go in for a salon process, or even if you're getting a cut, it's really important to have your pros demineralize your hair. Because if you're not getting a chemical service, even if you're just getting a cut, it can improve the texture of your hair. It's going to feel softer. And again, that's for primarily those hard water metals and minerals. But even New York tap water is going to have some level of those dissolved additional trace metals. And then that can cause more damage. So it's just best practice to blank slate the hair when you go in. And then it also creates kind of this uniform starting point for the pros so that they don't necessarily have to do that patch test all over the head. They're standardizing the hair, and, you know, it helps. It's not going to do anything for color, but if there's something that's going to cause more damage or compromise that hair further in one particular area, it's protecting the health, and it's also going to give you a more uniform color. And K18 has a demineralizing product that's pro only, But one of the things that we saw is that it really, really standardized the color that you would do if you use it before a coloring service. And it's kind of crazy to see how different it looked with and without it, which is crazy to think about how pros have to navigate this, right? They're never 100% sure what they're going to get when they're using the exact same color on different heads of hair because of the condition of the hair.
2: So we didn't really talk about heat, and I feel like that's a big one in this. I've heard just on social, and I feel like it's kind of prominent now that there's talk that air drying is actually worse for hair than blow drying. One, is this true? And if it is, does it apply to all hair textures or like all blow dryers or like where would there be some differences there?
0: That's a great question. Not all hair tools are the same. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate answer is it really depends. So I believe that's coming from this publication that was released studying the different methods of drying hair. And what they did was they looked at blow drying at different distances from the hair. So the effective temperature felt by the hair was different. So you had like a high heat and a medium heat, a low heat, and then they had an air dry version. And what they saw was that the test group that actually had the least damage was the one that was dried at the low heat setting. And this is believed to be kind of a feature of what's called hygral fatigue. So when hair comes into contact with water, it swells, right? And then as those water molecules evaporate, as they leave the hair and it dries, it contracts. And that swelling and contracting, swelling and contracting over and over and over again can eventually sometimes cause cracking in the structure of the cuticle. And so that's a type of structural damage that compromises the hair, right? So that's the argument for if you're letting your hair air dry, it's going to do that slower and it spends more time wet. And like I said, wet hair is weak hair. So it's also the added element of you're putting your hair in a state for longer where it can more easily take damage. So there are strategies that you can employ to minimize the damage that occurs to hair when you're drying it. And honestly, the best one is just accelerating the drying process while being As least damaging as possible. And so you would want to use a really absorbent, gentle, like microfiber hair towel to start when you get out of the shower or when your hair has been wet. And that, without heat, takes away a lot, like a good percentage, if it's a good towel, of the moisture from hair. Not moisture, moisture is a term that people associate as a good thing, but actually, water content in hair is not a good thing. And hydration is another myth that. I think is something that hasn't really been spoken about in the hair industry. But when you want to dry hair, putting it in a starting point that's as dry as possible, and then using a low heat setting. Low and slow.
1: But what would you consider low? It
0: depends on the tool. But just in general, the low is... In general, as low as as works for your hair. Because if it's not giving you the result that you want, you're going to find another way to do it that actually might be more damaging. So similar to sunscreen, right? The best practice is the one that you'll use and that works for your hair type, your specific type. So blow drying is good. And then hot tools that are contact can be some of the most damaging. And it's actually really bad to take wet hair or even damp hair and go on direct contact with a hot tool like that. And the reason is because it's cooking the water out of your hair really, really, really fast. And that rapid evaporation of the water molecules as they turn into gas They are, again, crashing through that protein structure in their haste to escape the hair fiber. So anything that really quickly dries the hair is going to cause some damage to some extent. Things like the new Dyson, what is the Air Straight? Yeah. I think that's probably one of the least damaging ways that Uh. you can straighten hair. But if it's, I haven't tried it. So actually, I'm not totally sure how it works, but it's not using a hot contact plate. So I imagine it would be closer to blow drying, so better for your hair. But if it's still really quickly flashing that water out of the hair, I don't think it's completely free of damage. Wow. I was
2: wondering
1: about that. Yeah, I was like, I, how is that possible?
2: I've used so many of those brush to dry, straighten combo.
1: Things. Oh, yeah. Those are rough. I'm like <laughs> I think the way they get away with it
0: is because they say it's not heat damage. And they're right, because it's yeah. not heat damage, right? It's like a
1: secondary effect of oh, that's so fast. Like because they do put damage. it they have a little asterisk there, and then I search for like the asterisk and I can't find it because it's like no heat damage asterisk and then I'm like okay where's the like so explainer interesting. of this those and there's usually nothing.
0: link to studies that they've done to substantiate it but I, I mean this is just pure speculation disclaimer it's like <laughs> no, this no, no, is my yeah. speculation but that's what I think
1: might be happening that makes sense to me I have the air straight and I'm like okay this is not least zero. damaging is, is good, though. Yes, exactly. Good. Yeah. Okay, so we know about the environmental components that damage hair. But what about internal factors? I think people are always concerned about that. So like diet, stress, can those affect the hair structure?
0: Hugely, yeah. So let's start with stress. That's a physiological stressor, right? Psychological always ends up taking a toll on your body, on your biology. And why that's important to hair is because your hair starts off in your scalp, which is living skin. And so things that would cause more stress on your internal biology affect all parts of it, including your skin and your scalp, right? So the scalp condition or the health of the scalp is intrinsically linked with the hair fiber that grows out of it which is something that I think people are becoming kind of increasingly aware of Mm -hmm. right as skincare is big now and it's only growing people are realizing that their skin on their scalp that translates to healthy hair so making sure to take care of your scalp both externally right by making sure that you are keeping it clean, if your scalp is asking for a wash, you should, but also like keeping it moisturized, keeping it out of the sun as Mm -hmm. you would for the skin on the other parts of your body. And so maintaining that optimal health of the scalp really does translate to healthy hair. And when we talk about stress, right, there can be different kinds of stressors. COVID was a biological stress for so many people. And something that they found was that there was a secondary effect for people who had COVID called telogen effluvium, which is when the hair follicles will shed the hair that's growing from them, kind of like in this concerted way. So you see a lot more hair fall at once. That's just one example of the way that these biological factors like stress can impact the hair fiber. And then when you talk about diet, it's interesting because if you are, I'm sure you know this really well, right? Because you're in medicine. So having a healthy and balanced diet will 100% impact the hair growth. And things that are supplemental to that if you already have a healthy diet, it's actually not going to do all that much. So dietary biotin isn't quite as effective as people have the believed most overrated it to be. supplement yeah. out
1: there. Because if you have a
0: biotin deficiency, it's yeah. going to impact your hair growth and it's going to mm-hmm. be bad. So getting that biotin back into your diet will help with hair growth. But if you're already living a relatively healthy lifestyle, if you're eating a complete diet, it's not going to take you over that baseline of getting what you
1: need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always explained stress as basically... Creating hair, maintaining hair is so high intensity. It's one of the most high intensity things that your body is doing. Oh, yeah. And so when you become stressed in the same way that you kind of like functionally become overwhelmed. So when you're really stressed, maybe you normally always make your bed and then you get stressed and you're like, I can't do that anymore. It's the same with hair where like your scalp is essentially like I cannot maintain the same amount of hair. And that's why you get that 30% shed and drop because your body is just like, I just literally can't. That's an amazing analogy. Oh, thank you. That's so good. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Okay. And so lastly, when we talk about damage to the hair structure, what about aging? Like, does our hair structure naturally change as we age? And is that different for men versus women? Aging affects your
0: skin. So it does affect your hair. And what that can look like is a decrease in hair density, right? Follicles go through this growth phase where they are actively growing and then they're kind of staying constant and then they rest and they shed the hair and a new growth cycle starts. And there's a relatively consistent number that for you as an individual, like number of cycles that your hair follicles would go through. And as things stress the follicle, if you're prematurely shedding hair, you're shortening that growth phase duration. So the follicle is going to become tired, it's going to go through a lot of stressors, including that word that's going to come up a lot, oxidizing stress. (laughs) And you can miniaturize the follicle or you can prematurely age it. And that is both intrinsic and extrinsic, right? There's the genetic component to it, but it's also what your hair and your scalp come across in their life. So, I said that scalp is really important for hair health, but hair actually is also pretty important for scalp health. It kind of goes both ways. Because if you're someone who is constantly trying to modify your hair because it's not what you want it to be or it's not healthy, so maybe you go for shape change or color services and you're doing it really close to the root, those oxidizing chemicals are bad for the proteins in your hair. They're also really bad for your scalp. They're very harsh. And so what you're doing to your hair and the products that you're applying and the processes that you're doing all really impact that scalp too. And so those can effectively age hair quicker. Other things that you would see in aging hair are a decrease in diameter. So as the follicle miniaturizes, the diameter of the hair, the thickness of each individual hair can shrink. And you would also see loss of pigment, that decrease in melanogenesis that leads to gray hair and white hair. And then just kind of how You take care of your hair. It does impact it to an extent, though. Genetic is really the strongest component. So it's a bit of both.
1: Yeah, that makes complete sense. There's such a hormonal component when it comes to aging. And I always explain to patients, I'm like, everyone hair will thin it just happens at like a different rate Mm -hmm. and starts at a different time and I mostly say it's due to genetics but yeah I think you're correct it's also probably due to like how much uv exposure have you had how Mm -hmm. have you been treating your hair because obviously we know that things can be kick-started and sometimes once they've been kick-started it's you can't just turn it off
0: Right, exactly. I talk about proteins in hair a lot, but there's kind of like a a smaller support player in the structure of hair, and those are lipids, which are kind of like the natural oils that are part of your skin, and they end up also in your hair, and those impact hair properties as well. I did see a study on aging hair for women specifically. I'm not certain if it translates to men, but that the lipid content of hair will decrease as you age, and so that also contributes to kind of the differences that you would see in hair texture as as it ages.
1: That makes sense. I feel like we're learning so much about what happens with menopause. And I think that just in general, post-menopausal, you're making less oils on the skin. And so it makes sense on the hair, too.
2: Wow, I'm learning so much in this episode. It's wild. <laughs> Yay! So we've reviewed a lot of ways, internal and external, that your hair can be affected positively and negatively the ways that it's affecting the health of the hair. So I want to get to talking about repair now. So we've all done damage. Summer's wrapping. We've had UV exposure, all the things. How does one go about repairing hair shaft damage?
0: So again, hair is interesting, right? Because it is not a biologically living tissue. So it can't repair itself the way that your skin could if you got like a cut. It's not going to regrow, So hair isn't capable of repairing itself, but there are some things that you can do to restore a little bit of that structure. Traditionally in the industry, the strategy was to make hair look and feel better. And this was kind of where you get the, quote, reparative technologies from like 30 years ago. And what it was doing was treating the symptom of hair damage, which would manifest in hair that's lost its shine, it's duller, hair that is a little bit rougher, it's not quite as smooth. And so the way that they would go about it is to modify the surface properties of the hair because that cuticle's condition impacts the look and the feel of hair. So adding things onto the surface that would kind of coat and lubricate the hair would make it feel softer would make it easier to detangle the hair. Polymers that will sit on the surface that are protective, right, or have like a high refractive index would make it look shinier. But what this is doing is it's really increasing the experience of the consumer or the manageability of the hair, but it's not treating that underlying source of the damage, which is protein damage. And then you kind of see the advent of technologies increasing and like bond builders come into the story. And these understand that hair structure impacts its properties to some extent. And the way they go about this is by zeroing in on one feature of that protein structure, which is a specific type of bond, the protein structure in hair is made up of a lot of different kinds of bond, and some we've touched on today, right? It includes hydrogen bonds, ionic bonds, covalent bonds like disulfide bonds, and peptide bonds. So bond builders are helping to support that structure, but they're not doing it necessarily in a holistic way. The best way to repair hair is to repair that protein architecture of the inside of the hair, right? So the ultimate form of hair damage is hair breakage because those proteins are coming apart and they're separating critically until the fiber just splits in half or in two. And so the k-18 peptide was this really revolutionary technology because it allowed you to restore the internal structure of the hair using what we call molecular repair. And what we mean by that is that hair's proteins are biomolecules, and they're made up of individual building blocks called amino acids that are linked together by different kinds of bonds into a long chain. So you could think of the amino acids as beads and the longer proteins that live in the hair as kind of a string of these different things, like a bracelet or a necklace. And so these couldn't come together without something called peptide bonds. That's what links the individual amino acids. So you couldn't actually have a long chain and why that's important is the length of the proteins will contribute to the strength of the whole hair fiber. Right? It's what allows it to grow down and out. But there are support bonds that help different protein chains stick together, which allows them to come together in bulk. And there's always strength in numbers. So the more, the stronger the hair. And hair actually is a really strong biomaterial for what it is. It's so small compared to kind of like a lot of the things we interact with that we don't necessarily realize that, but its structure is really strong. So. K18 mimics that molecular structure of the proteins that make up our hair. It's made of the same building blocks that the proteins in our hair and it's actually identical in structure to some of the proteins in our hair. And that's something that we call biomimetics, which we could talk a little bit more about now or later.
2: So how does that K18 technology compare to other bond-building technologies?
0: So in two ways. The first is that biomimetic element. So the K18 peptide was discovered by taking inspiration from our hair. Biomimetic, if you break down the word, it's mimicking or imitating biology. And so the biology of our hair, it's when it's formed in the follicle and all of those proteins kind of come together in this really strong structure. So the researchers who discovered the K18 peptide were studying all the proteins that make up our hair. And they recognized that these structural components are responsible for hair's strength and making sure they are structurally intact is crucial to maintaining your hair's health. And so they studied every single protein that goes into the hair, broke them up into decapeptides. And so let me take a minute to describe peptides. A peptide is just a small baby protein, so a shorter chain of those amino acids versus something that's much longer and kind of has a specific set structure. So. They just broke all the hair proteins up into little individual peptides and studied their affinity to human hair proteins. And they screened them, and there was kind of the subset that was really sticky to hair, meaning that it would go and it would interact and it would kind of stay on those hair proteins. And then they further screened them for the peptide's ability to recover lost tensile or mechanical properties, and they found that there were some that could restore lost strength and elasticity, which is really different because that's not treating a symptom of damage, that's treating the cause of damage. And so by modeling this repair after something that already kind of exists in the hair is the closest that you can get to repairing the hair because it's taking those things that it's already made of and stitching the broken proteins back together. So with bond builders, you're taking a different molecule that's not necessarily inherently present in the hair and it's a synthetic repair or artificial repair of broken bonds. Whereas k is, it's like yeah. for like, right? It's made of the same thing. And then the k peptide, because it's made of the same thing as hair, it's able to kind of interact with those proteins in the same way that those proteins are naturally interacting with each other. And it's forming multiple different types of bond with the proteins in hair. And um, why that's important is if your hair is in a situation where one specific type of bond is affected. So if it's a type of bond builder that's focusing on hydrogen bonds, if you wet your hair, you're vulnerable to that reparative agent being pulled out of the hair because the bonds that are holding it, anchoring it in the hair are being disrupted. If you have something that's an ionic type of bond builder and your hair is exposed to higher pH, ionic bonds are super sensitive to pH. It's going to come out. So there are different ways to affect the different bonds within hair, and by forming multiple different kinds of bonds, you're ensuring that if one pipe is altered, it's not going to remove the agent from the hair. It's going to still stay intact, and it's going to continue that internal restructuring to keep those broken proteins really held together. It's not going to come out more easily, so it's a more lasting kind of repair too.
1: If someone's already using a bond builder, like in their at-home routine or their like styling routine, could they add K-18 also, or should you kind of use one?
0: I would say you can add anything to your routine that you like. K-18 isn't gonna disrupt the activity of another kind of bond builder. Mm -hmm. I will say though, that if you're using K-18, you don't necessarily need another kind of bond builder because it's kind of attacking it from that multifaceted, holistic, multi-bond route, right? But it's not going to interfere with any of the other treatments that you really like. So feel free to use it with whatever
1: you want. And then what about oral supplements? Obviously, oral supplements are all the rage. Some of them are effective. Some of them, like biotin, aren't really doing much. But do you think that they can be complementary to each other? Like if someone's really looking to like put everything into restoring their hair? Or do you think k kind of all you need?
0: In terms of repair, k has got you covered. Mm-hmm. But there's always protective measures that you can take, right? And it's like with skincare, protection is always the best strategy because you're preserving what you have. K18 allows you to repair damage that has already occurred, so it's a little bit retroactive in that way. Mm -hmm. But you should always be looking to protect your hair as well. And there's different things that you can do for that. And I know a lot of these oral supplements kind of have emerging data to show that they're helping. And it's really complicated system, right? Your hair is interacting with so many things and there's the internal environmental factors and then there's the external factors. And so <laughs> there's always something that you can do to kind of provide a little bit more of that support. So I'm not going to say that you don't necessarily need oral supplements, but I haven't seen data that says that you do. I think it's an area up for like increasing research to show if this can be a really powerful tool or not. It's still kind of early, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think a great way to think about it is how you explained it, kind of the hair that's coming out of your head originally. I feel like if that hair is weak or fragile, like from the start, maybe some type of supplement could potentially be beneficial. And then katein going to help repair like any damage that you occur versus if your hair is coming out of your head strong and then it's just very susceptible to damage, then maybe you don't need that supplement or changing your diet or therapy,
0: (laughs) with any of those things. Yeah, that's a great point because kateen isn't a hair growth supplement. It's not going to increase the density of the hair on your head. It's not a scalp active. It's specific to that hair fiber. So if you want to boost the density of the growth or support that, that's a great way. The kateen peptide is good at, if you do have that kind of like fragile hair that's coming out at the root, we've gotten a lot of feedback from people who have had some really damaging, maybe it's alopecia or... Uh, side effect of certain types of medication Mm -hmm. or or medical treatments, that they're able to grow their hair back more quickly because you're protecting the structure of those fragile hairs as they're growing out into the environment. So, k actually can be a good protective tool to help support the growth of hair, not from the root, but in making sure that the ends aren't breaking off as quickly. So, you can see increased hair growth, though it's not impacting the scalp or the follicles.
1: I actually love that because that's one of the biggest things when someone's had hair loss and the hair starts to regrow is I'm always like, this hair that initially regrows is extremely fragile, but of course, they always want to get back to their regular routine. And so I might actually start recommending K-18 early. And then so when we talk about K-18, I will say that I love it because I have a lot of hair, but my individual hairs are very thin, very fragile. But I was very nervous the first time I tried it. And that's because in the curly community, everything's about making sure that your hair is wet, keep your hair wet, keep your wet hair wet all the time. And so there's a very unique application for the leave-in mask. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Like why it's that way? Yeah, it
0: has a particular application process. So the way we recommend using the K-18 repair mask is you go into the shower, you wash your hair with shampoo, and then you skip conditioner, which is absolutely chaotic for most people.
1: Exactly. If you have curly hair, you're like screaming. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember being
0: nervous the first time that I did it because it's such a deviation from your normal routine. Mm -hmm. And conditioners have been like, we've been conditioned to use conditioners for for so long, right? The reason we want to skip conditioner when using K18 is because another special feature of this peptide is that it's, size and its composition, the structure of that peptide is just so that it's good at passing through the outer cuticle, right? It's not just going to do surface modification and moving into the cortex, which is where it's able to restructure those internal proteins to create more strength. And just a brief note on the structure of that peptide, proteins are really interesting in that the number of amino acids, so the size of the peptide or protein. The type of amino acids and the organization of them dramatically changes the properties of the peptide or the protein because applying proteins to hair isn't necessarily new or even peptides. There's plant-based peptides and proteins that you can apply. There's hydrolyzed keratin, right, which is a match if you're talking about like where it's coming from, that's from hair proteins. But when you have hydrolyzed keratin, you're kind of just taking a little scissor and snipping up the protein and breaking it up into smaller bits, which may be the right size, right, to get through the cuticle and into the cortex. But the composition might not be right. So a lot like letters in a word or words in a sentence, that order and organization of the amino acids in a peptide or protein will determine how that peptide or protein behaves. And so k is kind of just the right order, number, and structure to be doing that molecular repair in kind of the best way. It's been optimized for my biology to do just that. But because it's going and it's working inside the hair on the cortex, things that sit on the outside can interfere with its ability to get there. And it has a very high affinity to hair proteins, including the cuticle. But where you're getting that differentiated repair, right, strengthening the hair so that it's not breaking, is happening on the inside of hair. So if you have heavy conditioners, things like emollients, oils, fatty acids, larger polymers, silicones, they can interfere with the peptide's ability to diffuse from the outside To the inside of the hair. So if you have a lot of product on your hair or buildup, even mineral buildup, can interfere with this, you're not getting the benefits from the peptide. So that's why you need to start with a clean canvas and have freshly shampooed hair. You wouldn't go in and apply your efficacious skincare, like a a retinol or tretinoin, on your face when you have makeup or like heavy conditioners or SPF on it. It's the same for hair. You want to start with a clean canvas. So you have to skip the conditioner, unfortunately, which is really tough for a lot of people. But what you would do after that is you get out of the shower. This is a leave-in. It's not like most masks that you apply. You wait and then you rinse them off. It's leave-in. So you would gently towel dry hair. Please don't go in and like aggressively dry it. Like, yeah. I don't know. I've seen my family do that. It. <laughs> you want to gently dry hair with a towel always to avoid any mechanical damage. And then you apply the k peptide formula, the mask. And there's a, a trick to kind of getting it where you need it because this is a really efficacious formula. A little goes a very long way. You do not need a lot, which again is like a deviation from the current coily yeah. routines where you apply a ton of product and you make sure the hair is coated. So most people, if it's like the full-sized mask, just need between half a pump and three pumps. So for really long hair, at my longest, I was using maybe three, three and a half pumps. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so if you apply it to your palm and you kind I'm of I'm like,
2: overusing. I like, I'm like a product I'm just like overuser. I'm like, yes, more.
0: <laughs> Well, it's because the application can help you get just a little bit, right? It's like okay. spreading of the product. If you apply it to your palms and you kind of like rub it between your hands until it turns an opaque white, it's just kind of soaping. It's not activating the ingredient. It's not yeah. going to change the efficacy. But what it does is allows you to kind of place it on the hair and see where you're putting it. So this is a tip that we give people to kind of be able to use less because you can't over-apply the peptide. It'll just do what it needs to and repair and support where it needs to. But there's no negative effects of using too much of the peptide. But the formulation, if you apply too much of it, can start to feel heavy. It's not meant to be a conditioner. It's meant to be that targeted repair. So if you apply too much of it, especially finer hair types, can start to feel weighed down. So... It's also cost-effective because, you know, let's be real, it's not cheap. (laughs) My K-18 budget is (laughs) (laughs) high. So you want to make sure you're using just enough to get that repair and you're using it the right way so you can get the most
2: from what you're applying to hair. So how often do you recommend using it?
0: So we recommend when you start the regimen with K-18, you're kind of in the active repair phase where you would use it consecutively for three or four washes. And that's kind of depending on the starting state of your hair. People who have really, really damaged hair tend to see the best results because they kind of have the farthest way back up to go. But it's dependent on your hair type and what you need specifically. And then once you've gotten through that intense repair phase, you go and switch into maintenance mode where you would use the product every three to four washes, just inserting it into your routine. And the reason for that is not that the peptide, like it's going to, come out of your hair, it's going to get undone, is that damage is ongoing, right? Mm -hmm. You're constantly going through new situations and exposing your hair to new things, whether it's the wash day routine or heat styling or mechanical styling or whatever, right? We talked about at length many of the ways to damage your hair. So it's kind of just to make sure that you're maintaining and refortifying the hair as you go through life.
1: And can you overuse it? So like what if someone is like, I'm just only going to use k18 or do you think that there's a benefit to having that traditional conditioner in your routine also
0: conditioners definitely do serve a purpose Mm -hmm. in a hair routine it's just a completely different mechanism than the k18 peptide conditioners are primarily protection right Mm -hmm. that they're creating an additional barrier on the surface of the hair and so they're standing a little bit as a protective layer between hair and its environment and they're certainly helping, I think, and honestly, this is why curly and coily hair types like conditioner so much, is because it's reducing the friction on the surface of the hair. So when you're detangling or you're wet styling, it really helps you to reduce, first of all, the force needed to pull the comb through your hair, but also ensuing breakage, right? Mm -hmm. Because the less force you're applying, the less you're stressing the hair and the less damage that you would see. So conditioners definitely have a place as like a supplement or support, but they don't replace the K18 peptide. They can kind of live together in a routine.
1: That makes sense. And I will say with the K18, for everyone with curly hair that's stressed, once you wait the four minutes your hair actually does feel quite soft and manageable and it's like easy to style and I was also told by the team that you could go back and re-wet your hair if you like to style your hair while it's wet
0: yeah so you apply that mask you leave it for four minutes and then you can kind of do whatever else you want and that includes just going about your life like you don't need to add anything else that can be your styling treatment it can act as your like baby conditioner or you can go and add a ton of products over it. You can add leave-in conditioners. You can add heat protectant. You can heat style. You can air dry. It doesn't matter. You can also go back and re-wet your hair. It's Once the peptides diffused into the hair and it's done its thing, it's
2: not
1: going to come out from water. So feel free to re-wet and style. But you probably won't now that you know how bad water is. Your
2: hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so guilty. Like I walk out of the house with wet hair all the time. It's, like, it's awful. I used to. I used yeah. to sleep with wet hair. That's the so... one that you
1: want to avoid
0: yeah. because you have... The wet hair, so it's like more fragile, combined with like the friction of the pillow.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: So if you're using something with less friction, like a silk pillowcase, that's good for your hair because you're going to cause less mechanical damage. Or if you're like a sound sleeper, that's also better. I'm a very aggressive sleeper. Like I'm always rolling Uh around. So like I need to have either like a silk bonnet or a silk pillowcase to kind of minimize the mechanical damage. So... When you combine wet hair and mechanical damage, it's like not good. So please don't go to bed with wet hair. You can go outside. Your hair will air dry ultimately.
2: I know. I'm, I'm an air dryer. Anything, but, but after this conversation, I don't know.
0: I think you're okay. <laughs> Your hair looks great and you're using K18. So you're yeah. Thank
2: you. Okay. So being in skin, I mean, we kind of touched on immediate results, the four minutes, but people are always wanting something immediate and like, what's it going to do right away? And then just like the skin cycle, like what will this do in a month? So what can someone expect from first use to if they use it for two weeks, three weeks, a month?
0: You'll see that initial repair. And like I said, the starting condition of the hair, it might be more dramatic results for somebody who has more compromised, more damaged hair at the beginning. But results are cumulative. So you'll continue to see benefits with each use. And then if you're somebody who is in full maintenance mode, right, and you're using this, For a year, years, we've heard people say, I can grow my hair longer than ever because you're maintaining that structural integrity, which allows your hair to grow longer. And so it's not just preventing the breakage, but it's allowing every product that you use after to be more effective because you're not just trying to mitigate a damage and a symptom, you're holistically treating the hair. So whether you're using stylers or conditioners, that k peptide serves as like the perfect base for everything else that goes over it something else that's interesting is that like you said your hair curl comes back faster mm-hmm. when you use it this is something that we don't have third party testing for at the moment but we've had a lot of anecdotal evidence that hair curl patterns that have been lost to damage right the curl pattern kind of gets elongated it does sort of bring it back to that near virgin state. And I also feel like my curls have been just lasting longer. I can go longer between washes. Like it just boosts the curls, So that's something that I haven't seen in another product for curl support. And again, it's working differently. It's like inside out repair versus outside in.
1: Yeah. And the other thing with repair, it's I feel like a lot of times with protein treatments and things like that, that can help the curls look fresh. A lot of times it makes them feel hard. Sometimes it looks really perfectly curled, but it feels like straw. And I don't get that with a K-18, which is what sold me.
2: I used it today and I was at a meeting before we came to record this with a friend who sees me all the time. And the first thing she said when I walked in, she's like, your curls are dripping today. (laughs) They weren't wet. She just meant they were one point. So, I mean, and that's actually all I put in my hair today. So, yeah. (laughs)
1: That's perfect. So I am on the K-18 science squad, which I have to admit, when you guys first approached me for it, I was like, what's the catch? Like, you were like, hi, like, we just want to send you scientific data. And I was like, yes, and what? And you're like, no, that's it. I just want to send you scientific data. And I was telling you earlier, I always respond to the emails like, Thank you for preparing this for me. I always learn something new. It's super fascinating. So just talk to us a little bit about why the brand chose to work so closely with scientists, physicians, and stylists. I mean, hearing you talk, I think that we probably can all guess why. Like, you have such a wealth of knowledge. But why was that intentional for the brand or important for the brand?
0: The co-founder of K18, Savine, when he and I first began speaking, we realized really quickly we shared this common interest in dispelling the information that seems to be so pervasive in the world. so
1: much with hair.
0: Especially hair. No one
1: understands hair. I know it's because industry (laughs) has been maybe a little bit
0: less than forthcoming Mm -hmm. historically. And he really wanted to do things different. And I respected that and I appreciated that. And he really wanted there to be this authoritative voice to help guide people to the right information because... I mean, it's hard for somebody who doesn't come from a technical background to parse through what's fact and what's concocted or what's been—the meaning has been kind of distorted a little bit. So we wanted to provide space to guide people to the evidence-based information on hair products and hair science and— By creating this network of like-minded individuals who are also trying to counter the flow of misinformation and bring people the accurate information, you create this amplification network. So it's more likely if everybody's on the same page and everybody's got the same goal, that this information is going to make its way out into the universe to the right people so they can learn more about their products and learn more about their hair. And there's always something you can learn that you might be able to implement in your routine that makes a difference for somebody. And so Sabine had said to me, you know, like, I want to make K-18 an authority in this space because I don't know that there's anybody who's doing it in a big way. And by partnering with the amazing people like you who are on that same mission, I think it's really important to K-18 as a brand. And it's personally really important to me.
1: And I think that's why word has spread so quickly. I said this before we started talking, but I heard about the brand almost within the same week from a really good friend of mine who's a beauty influencer and another dermatologist that I highly, highly regard. And I'm like, if this is coming to me from these two sources that are so different that I trust so much, then like, oh, I should look into this. And so, yeah, I I mean, it's definitely paying off and we're grateful because our hair looks good. Okay. We are... Almost done. We're just going to do some rapid fire true or false. Maybe difficult, but three questions. So number one: the only way to cure split ends is to cut them off.
2: Oh my (laughs) gosh! She rolled her eyes, guys.
1: (laughs) Okay, you can say like a couple sentences. Yes and no.
0: You can't. It's really hard to stitch those proteins back together once they've been like fully, fully separated. Mm -hmm. The most authentic close to repair you can do is with the k18 peptide right Mm -hmm. but even that has its limits and if the split end is dramatic enough some other products will claim like split end repair but what they're Mm -hmm. doing is creating kind of a film over them to sort of hold them together it's like saran wrap right Yeah. versus actually restitching the fiber of the proteins back together so there are ways that you can improve the appearance of split ends Mm -hmm. but it's very hard to actually recover that structure and k18 is kind of the closest thing you can do to that.
2: Okay. Question number two. Spray heat protectants prevent all heat damage. True or false?
0: I don't believe that anything is total 100% protection. I think that you can always use products and use methods that will minimize damage, but damage is pretty sneaky and it's really always going to find its way. So just be as careful as you can. and
1: don't spray your hair and then just like feel like you have a free pass.
0: Please don't use a product and think that you can cook your hair.
1: Yeah. So false. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, last question. Hair should never be brushed while wet.
0: Again, yes and no. Yes, because your hair is weaker when it's wet, as we've said. But no, because it's hard for, especially the more curly and coily hair types to detangle their hair when it's dry And you can actually really dramatically decrease the surface friction by applying a detangler and doing it wet in the shower. My advice would be, please just go gentle. Like, Mm -hmm. Don't rake a brush through your hair when it's dry or it's wet because you're just going to end up snapping it off. Just be a little bit more intentional and mindful and be gentle with your hair when you go to detangle it because the k-18 peptide can repair proteins that are broken, but the hair fiber is still there. If you snap it off in two, Nothing's going to put it back on.
1: This was the best. I know. It's I just like, learned so much.
2: I'm going to relist to this episode at least five times. I was
1: actually thinking that. I was like, yeah. I have to it's listen like a good, to this multiple it's so times. Many,
2: so many nuggets of amazing info. It's a lot to take in. So if you're listening, just make sure you listen again. <laughs> five times.
1: <laughs> I'm truly so
0: grateful to you guys and the diligence that you do in bringing all this evidence-based knowledge and data to your listeners and I'm also just really appreciative that you've thought to have us on your show. So thank you so much.
1: Well, this was more than a pleasure. So thank you. And I feel like we're probably getting enough questions that we'll probably be seeing you again. Yes. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Although you may have answered everyone's questions.
2: Yeah, it might take them. They need to do the five times of listening before they're like realizing what other questions they have because there was so much they learned today.
1: Take notes, guys. (laughs) Yes.
2: All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in.
1: All right. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us today. Please leave us a review if this topic helped you feel smarter, calmer, and more confident about your beauty decisions. You can engage with us more personally on Instagram.
2: See you next episode.